as Brother Kyle mentioned, I've been here before. Uh, if you don't remember me, that means I'm forgetful. So that doesn't bode well for tonight. Uh, but I am truly honored uh, to, to be with you again. I want to express my appreciation to Kyle for sending me an email a few months ago asking me to come your way, but also to the elders. And I want to say a quick word. A few weeks ago, somebody shared with me a Facebook post uh, that was celebrating the fact that the church here has recently installed three new elders, and I want to celebrate with you and praise God in that. Uh, it is a wonderful thing whenever a congregation of the Lord's people can grow numerically in its eldership, and I pray that God will bless you as these men strive to labor among you. Please pray for them, as I know that you are, but abound in prayer for them, for they do a great and a good work. Brother Kyle mentioned uh, briefly uh, that your summer series here is coming to an end. Uh, so tonight we'll try to end it well. But you have thus far in the summer been studying uh, about Jesus. And that is something always worth our time to study about the Lord Jesus. And you have been considering a, a more excellent name, how Jesus has the more excellent name. It is my prayer that as you have studied through some of these designations or titles of Jesus, it is my prayer that you have had an increase of faith and love for Jesus. I pray that you will, uh, throughout these series, uh, that you will have come to a better appreciation for who Jesus is and that you will be able to express the same thing that Paul did in Philippians chapter 2 when he said that concerning Jesus that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That's true. There's no greater name than the name of Jesus. But then that brings us to the so what. If Jesus has the greatest name and if he is the greatest one among us, so what? Uh, how should I be changed by that? Well, we, we should. We absolutely should. So Paul in Philippians chapter 2 would conclude that by saying, because God has given him that high name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. There's your so what. There's how you need to be changed uh, in appreciation of who Jesus is. Because there's a lot of people in the world today that believe that Jesus is the Christ, that believe that Jesus is Lord. There's a lot of people in the world today that believe what we're going to study tonight, that Jesus is King of Kings. Well, what are you doing with that? How are you being changed by that? Uh, how are you going out and uh, making a positive impact in the world because you know that to be true? These are some things that I want to discuss with you tonight as we consider the final selected title of the summer series. There's more titles in Scripture that you could have considered, but the ones that you have uh, studied thus far... They are all beautiful and wonderful in their own way. And tonight we are considering that Jesus is King of Kings. 
king of kings. And that almost feels empty just to say it like that because every time that title occurs in the New Testament, it is always followed after by and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah, hallelujah, right? You're about to break out in song. Hallelujah chorus. King of kings. So where do we read this in the New Testament that Jesus is indeed the king of kings? We read it on three different occasions. We read it once in Paul's first letter to Timothy, Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. We also read it in Revelation, John's Revelation. Revelation chapter 17, as well as Revelation chapter 19. Uh, maybe at the end of the, the uh, lesson tonight, we'll turn to Revelation 19. For now, I just want you to understand that this is a scriptural designation, that Jesus is indeed King of Kings. Think about that. Think about what that means and think about why that matters. I want to submit to your attention tonight that it matters greatly. Uh, in fact, Warren Worsby, who wrote hundreds of books, uh, said that this name, this title, is the most important title pertaining to Jesus. I don't know if I agree with that, but that's just one author's opinion. It's an important one, that's for sure. Uh, and again, it's one that we need to consider and then be changed because it's true. The meaning is pretty self-evident, in my opinion. When we read in Scripture that Jesus is King of Kings, the Holy Spirit is trying to impress upon us the fact that Jesus is the ultimate authority because a king is an authoritative figure. And of course, we know that that is true because that is indeed what Jesus has said as he gave the Great Commission to his apostles. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we read Jesus say, All authority has been given to me uh, in heaven and on earth. Jesus ind indeed does have all authority. He is the one that is above all. Of course, as I say that, we understand that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And it will take us an eternity to figure that out. But I'm looking forward to that. But when Jesus came to this earth, he willfully submitted himself to the will of the Father. And he lived in perfect obedience to the Father's commands. And in going to the cross to fulfill the Father's will, dying that death, that cruel death on Calvary, he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He was buried and gloriously he was resurrected from the tomb on the first day of the week. And then... Jesus spent some time with his disciples preparing them for the great work ahead and eventually Jesus would be ascended as we read at the beginning of the book of Acts. And in his ascension, he rose to sit at the right hand of God. Jesus is king right now and he will forever be king. These are some things that I want to show you tonight from scripture. But before we turn our attention fully to Jesus tonight, I would like for you to think about 
some great kings of the past. Let's do that. Let's think about some great kings of history. You know, our history books are full of uh, kings, uh, full of important people uh, who have lived and have already made their mark in this world. Uh, we might think of, for example, the great Egyptian pharaohs. These were some of the people responsible for those beautiful pyramids that we see today. They weren't the ones that actually built it, of course, but they commissioned it. Think about uh, Ramses II. Uh, some of the pharaohs during the dynasty of the Egyptians were some of the most powerful people who ever lived on the face of the planet. Or you might think about the Davidic kingdom. Uh, for example, we think about King David. And surely, certainly, it's true that David had much power as the king of Israel. And then later think about how the kingdom even uh, would, would grow and expand in um, in. Uh, well, we can certainly say wealth under the reign of King Solomon. We think about the Davidic kingdom, how that was a great power, especially during the time of David and Solomon. And then along came the kings of Assyria and Babylon and uh, Persia, the Medes and the Persians. Later in history, it was Alexander, Alexander the Great of, of Greece, who uh, conquered much territory for the Grecians. And then after that, what was it? It was the Romans. The Romans and their emperors or their Caesars. You think about someone like Julius Caesar. Uh, if historians come up with a list of the ten most important people in the world, he's probably going to be in the top ten. Uh, then later in history, you might think of some of the European kings like Charlemagne or uh, Louis XIV of France. And then our mind's eye might venture to the east and think about Genghis Khan or Attila the Hun. These are people who certainly made an impact in the world and they are remembered in history. Uh, the Russian emperors like Peter the Great or Catherine the Great. And then in recent years, we've, we've seen a rise, and, and by recent years, I'm talking about the past hundred years, We've seen a rise of, of world powers that did much harm. Uh, we consider the things that Hitler did, for example, or Stalin. These are some of the most powerful people who ever lived. Uh, these are people that we still talk about today because of what they did. Some of them are remembered in history for their mercy and their goodwill. Uh, others are remembered in history for, well, some of the cruel things that they did. What most of them, and if not all of them, have in common is that they were all very ambitious. They were all very ambitious. They all truly made their mark on history for the good or for the bad. And as... I bring all of that to your attention. I'm getting to this. King Nebuchadnezzar II of Babylon is certainly one of those names. He's one of the most important people who've ever lived uh, in the sense that uh, he was the emperor of one of the mightiest nations that ever existed on the face of the earth. Uh, of course, he was one of the emperors of the Neo-Babylonian dynasty. 
that dynasty effectively was begun by Nebuchadnezzar's father, uh, Nabopolassar. But Nebuchadnezzar made that kingdom bigger and better. Uh, in his reign, Nebuchadnezzar made the Babylonian Empire what it is that we remember for today. But most of what we remember Nebuchadnezzar for is written in Scripture. Uh, we read about the interactions that Nebuchadnezzar had with the prophet of God, Daniel, for example. These are the things that are most brought up uh, when we talk about Nebuchadnezzar. And so, if, if you're not already in Daniel, uh, if you're not ahead of me, go ahead and turn there now. Daniel chapter 4, and you may be wondering, why are we going to the book of Daniel? We're supposed to be talking about Jesus. Well, we're going to get there. Daniel chapter 4, and beginning at verse 28. I mentioned just a moment ago that Nebuchadnezzar is certainly one of the most influential people in history. He's one of the most powerful people in history for sure. But as you know, if you are someone who possesses a lot of power, you are going to be tempted to develop an inflated ego. Right? Doesn't that happen? Um, and Nebuchadnezzar certainly had that problem. Uh, he, again, had a great empire that he was leading, and there was a time in his life where he got a little bit too big for his britches, and God humbled this prideful Babylonian king. And that is what we're going to read about here in Daniel chapter 4 as we begin uh, our study on the king of kings. In Daniel 4 and verse 28, we read, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Notice the emphasis on himself here. Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my great power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Uh-oh. Here's a man with an ego trip. Here's someone who is full of pride for the things that he has done. And that is the main word there, he. Right? It's all about him. These are the last words of a man who has no recognition of God. Um, he does have an awareness of God, we learn from Daniel chapter 2, but this is a man who has lost sight of God. And that can happen to any of us. You know, that, that's not necessarily just a king thing. That's a people thing. Any of us can go about living our lives without a, a, a daily cognizance of God. And we can, we can delude ourselves into thinking that the lives that we have presently are by our own might and our own power. We've done it. We've accomplished it. We've arrived. It can happen to anybody. We must remember that without God, we can do nothing. You believe that? Without Him, we can do nothing. We need to remember that every good and perfect thing that we have in our lives, it comes from God, the Father of lights. 
we also need to understand that God is the one who sends rain on the just and the unjust. Uh, Jesus taught us that in the Sermon on the Mount. The meaning is that God is good to all. He's good to all, even prideful, deluded kings. The air that we breathe, the food that we have on our uh, tables, the clothing we're wearing tonight, every good thing is from the Lord. And that includes the opportunities that we have. It includes the talents that we possess. It even includes, I believe, our station in life. And in fact, uh, from the book of Romans chapter 13, we learn from Paul that the authorities that are, that exist, they are instituted by God. The governments that are in power today, they exist through the sovereignty of God. So if you think about that from Nebuchadnezzar's uh, perspective, that's something that he just simply doesn't see, but he needs to be reminded of that. And after this prideful remark, God doesn't just strike him dead. That's what he deserves, but God mercifully, mercifully chooses to lovingly discipline Nebuchadnezzar for his pride. And so if you keep reading, you're going to read that Nebuchadnezzar was told by God that the kingdom was taken from him. It was departed from him. And if you know what um, Daniel chapter 4 is all about, you know that Nebuchadnezzar turned into essentially a beast, uh, a mad person. Uh, he ate and grazed the, the grass like an ox. Uh, he lived essentially as a wild man for an extended period of time, just as God said it would happen. But if you look at verse 34, here's what I want you to see. Verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar is going to sober up. He's going to uh, miraculously be brought back from this mad season of his life. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to realize that he is a very fragile being. Uh, his power and his, his might is not as he thought. He's been humbled. And I want you to see his humility in verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Look, I understand. I thought I was the highest in the land, but there's someone higher than me. There is someone who is most high. I'm not going to live forever, but there is someone who lives forever. My kingdom is not going to last. It's not everlasting, but the Most High God's kingdom certainly will last forever and ever. My plans, 
They don't always go according to plan, but God's plans, they cannot be frustrated. They will prevail. He remembers this. He knew it before intellectually, but now he's changed by it. And so in verse 36, verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, I praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk uh, in pride, he is able to humble. So God restored um, what Nebuchadnezzar had lost, and Nebuchadnezzar even gained many things from that painful period of discipline in his life. And at the end of that, Nebuchadnezzar was a better person who was returning to the Lord with his praise. That was quite the trip that he went on. He went from thinking that he alone had established his kingdom to later praising and honoring the king of heaven, God above. And I share that with you tonight because Nebuchadnezzar, before he had this time of discipline, he seems to have had an affinity for the title king of kings. And if you understand his heart, you might understand why it is he would like to be called that. In fact, that title, King of Kings, it's found in the New Testament three times in reference to Christ, but in the Old Testament, did you know that that title is attributed twice to Nebuchadnezzar and once to uh, the Persian king Artaxerxes. Uh, if you want to write this down, Ezekiel 26 and verse 7. Ezekiel 26 and verse 7. God himself refers to Nebuchadnezzar as the king of kings. And then a verse I'll show you here in just a minute. We'll read it together. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 37. Daniel, in speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, refers to him as the king of kings. So, I believe, just personally, that Nebuchadnezzar liked that title and made it a point to have others call him that, and God, uh, in a way, honors that to teach us, I believe, a lesson. So, Nebuchadnezzar is referred to in Scripture as the king of kings, but there is a problem there's a lot of problems, in fact, with any human being being referred to as the king of kings. I could list several. I'm going to, I'm going to give you two tonight. The first problem is, I'm just going to call it the problem of reach. And this is what I'm talking about, the problem of reach. The second problem is the problem of impermanence. Let's talk first about the problem of reach. In history... It has never been the case that any king's kingdom has covered 
the entire earth. I'm talking about just mere human kings here. Not Jesus. I'm not talking about Jesus here. It has never been the case in history, in human history, that any earthly king's kingdom has covered, embraced the entire earth. Uh, there's been some of the earth that's been covered by some of the kingdoms in history, but not all of the earth. In fact, it's not even close. Not even close. And even if that were to ever occur in history, I do not believe that it will, it would be impossible for an earthly king to claim authority over the universe because you cannot claim what you cannot reach. So the point here is that all earthly kings have limited reach. That's true for Nebuchadnezzar. That's true for Julius Caesar. That's true for the president that serves in this country. There is a limited territory. So if we're talking about the king of kings, it's a small sandbox that all the kings are playing in, if you think about it um, in, from that perspective. So the problem of reach. The other problem is this, the problem of impermanence. Every king and every kingdom is not permanent. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Kings rise up into power and then they, they fall. And yes, they all die. And even if the kingdom lasts for generations or centuries or millennia, there is no human being who can truly be the king of kings because all of these kings, they die. They leave their mark and then they're done. Someone later in history can come behind them and exceed them in greatness as it's happened all throughout uh, the history of the world. Someone better comes. Someone greater comes. And at one time that person may have been considered the king of kings and now someone else has taken the throne. Those are two problems that any earthly king has in claiming this title of king of kings. Of course, you know where I'm headed, don't you? The Bible teaches us that there is indeed one king, there is indeed one king who may rightly be called the King of Kings, and that is, of course, the Lord our God. The Lord our God. Because there is no place, either in heaven or in earth or the entire universe, where God is not sovereign and God is not reigning and the ultimate authority there. God rules everywhere at every time. And, of course, there is no end to the kingdom and to the reign of God. So, I mentioned just a moment ago that I wanted to go to Daniel chapter 2. Let's do that now. We are in Daniel chapter 2 now. Same people, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, they're having a conversation. Daniel is interpreting a dream. We'll pick up at verse 36. Daniel 2 and verse 36. Nebuchadnezzar has had a strange dream and Daniel is going to interpret that dream. This was the dream. Now we will tell you, uh, tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings. Oh, there it is. Do you remember I said Daniel called Nebuchadnezzar the king of kings. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven 
has given the kingdom the power and the might and the glory. Verse 38, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beast of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. Verse 42, And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And as you, verse 43, saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in, mar in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. I'll pause here just to say, if you have no idea what we just read, please go back and read Daniel 2 and, and really study that passage. Daniel is really prophesying of some kingdoms that are going to come into existence historically. All of this has already been fulfilled. But if you'll pick up at verse 44 with me, this is really what I want you to see here in this particular passage. And in the days of those kings... And I believe that those kings there refers to the Roman kings, by the way. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom, a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and the interpretation sure. Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar by prophecy, there's coming a kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar, which will not be destroyed. There is coming a kingdom that will stand forever. Later in the book of Daniel, in chapter 7, picking up at verses 13 through 14, I believe we read of this king. Daniel 7 and verse 13. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Notice verse 14. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Church, who is this Ancient of Days? 
who is this son of man that is going to establish this kingdom that is going to last forever and ever? It is, of course, our Savior. It is our friend. And yes, it is our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of what we have just read here in Daniel 7. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is uniquely qualified to be this king of kings. He is the son of God. And yes, he is the son of man. And yes, he is the son of David, the fulfillment of all that God promised David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He is the king of the Jews. He's even more than that. He's the king of the Gentiles too. He's our king, the king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ who has all power in heaven and on earth. Well, you may say, well, okay, this Jesus, um, I, remember, I remember that as he was crucified, there was written the inscription, the king of the Jews. And that was written to mock him. Yes, it was. I remember that as he came into the city of Jerusalem, there were people celebrating his arrival, uh, laying palm branches before him, praising him as the king. Yes, that occurred. I remember that as he saw Nathanael under the fig tree, Nathanael professed his faith that Jesus is the king of Israel. Yes, he is. And you may say, well, does that mean, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my life? If Jesus is the king of Israel, if he is really the king of kings, that means today that you and I have no other option, no other choice really, than to bow down before him tonight and honor him as the king and serve him as Lord. Again, it's one thing to say that you believe that because the Bible teaches it. It's another thing altogether to do it and to live that way. They killed him and mocked him for being the king of Israel. But you know what Jesus did? He came up out of the grave. He's not in the grave, which is really the crux of Peter's sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bible, let's go ahead and turn there now. Acts chapter 2. We'll pick up at verse 29. Uh, Peter in this uh, sermon is preaching to people who were present, uh, who participated in the very crucifixion of Jesus. These would have been some of the very same people who were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. They rejected their king. And so Peter's going to write about Jesus' relationship to David and how Jesus is superior to David. And by the way, David was the greatest 
king Israel ever had. I mean, the, the Jewish people even today celebrate uh, the kingship of David. Jesus is greater, and Peter's going to prove that. Brothers, verse 29 of Acts 2, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He's saying, We can go to the tomb of David. We can visit it. That's where his journey ended. Jesus, however, rose. God raised him up. In fact, in verse 36, the conclusion of his sermon before he's interrupted, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Lord meaning he is the one we must obey. Christ meaning he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one of God. And the indictment that he makes that day is that you've crucified him. I trust that you're familiar with Acts chapter 2. The, the people who heard that sermon, they cried out, men and brothers, what shall we do? And they were told exactly what they needed to do. Uh, they needed to obey the king. Specifically, what they needed to do was to repent of the sins that they had committed in their lives. Repent of their rebellion. Repent of their pride. Repent of making their own kingdom. Repent and turn to God in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. He told them also to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was the promise. Friends, we're reading here about the beginning of the church. We're reading here about how 3,000 people that day came to faith in the Lord Jesus 3,000 people that day repented of their sins and they were baptized in water for the forgiveness of their sins. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. We're reading about people who have been translated or transferred into the kingdom of God. And if you're a Christian and if you have done likewise, if you've come to faith in Jesus and if you've been born again, of water and spirit. You've been transferred into the kingdom of God. You are now serving King Jesus, living in honor of him. And you're waiting, aren't you? You're anticipating the return of King Jesus because he is faithful and he has promised us that he is indeed coming back. And when he does, what a day that's going to be. I will leave you here with Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. As we transition here into the time in which the invitation of Jesus is going to be offered, let me remind you of a scripture that we read here in verse 9. 
Revelation 19 and verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold, you, who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I share that with you quickly, just to say tonight you were invited to that marriage supper. Take him up on his offer. Verse 11, we see a picture of the victorious king of kings. Verse 11, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True. Imagine that this is wild. I mean, this is remarkable, what we're reading here. It is so otherly. What I mean by that is just it's out of this world, and it's meant to impress us, and it's meant to inspire us, and it's meant to bring us in humility at the feet of this king tonight. Think about what we're reading here. I, I saw a white horse, uh, the one sitting on it. So there's a figure sitting on this horse. He's called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Well, that's what kings do, right? Yes. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a, a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with uh, which to strike down the nations. And he, notice, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress, winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Verse 16, this is where we end. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. What is it, church? King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the conqueror. He is the victorious one. And he is the one at the end who will be standing. Will you be with him? Will you be standing with him? Will you conquer with him? Will you have the victory? Faith is that victory. We need to have faith in Jesus tonight. We need to come to him and serve him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So, that's my encouragement to you as a Christian. That's the church's encouragement to, to everyone here as brothers and sisters. That is the Holy Spirit's conviction in your heart. If you need to come to the Lord Jesus, we sing this song to encourage you while we sing and stand. Buried with Christ, my blessed Redeemer, in the old life of folly and sin,
Father, we thank you so much for the day that you blessed us with to come and to uh, be a part of this Bible hour and to study your word and to open up the Bible that you've given us uh, that was once for all delivered uh, to your saints, uh, the disciples that follow you, Lord. We thank you so much for this opportunity that we've been given to look at your son, uh, to think about how he is the king of kings that uh, he is above all, and we pray that we will put him in that place in our life, that he will be the king over us, over our desires, over our will, and over our lives. We thank you for this series of lessons this summer, the summer series that we've been engaged in. We thank you so much for giving us a Savior that has a more excellent name than any else. We thank you for every speaker that has come and has delivered messages, uh, delivered another portion of your word, helped us see things that we may not have seen before, hear things that we may not have heard before, look at things and look at your son in a way that we can apply for the rest of our life. We thank you for Barry tonight being with us. We pray for his safe travels home. Lord, we pray that uh, these series of lessons will take root in our heart in our life, in our actions, as we live our lives, that we can glorify you and bring praise to your name. Help us this week, Lord. Help us to be faithful. Help us to do as you would have us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. <laughs> 